You want to turn your Bibles again to the book of Titus chapter 2? <clears throat> Titus chapter 2, please. As you're turning there, this past week, we had, uh, yesterday, we had a memorial service for Henry Van Patten to celebrate his life and also rejoice that he's in heaven. But I did a, a graveside service for him on Friday at the Veterans Cemetery in Bushnell and also memorial service yesterday. We had several indicate by the hand that they prayed to receive Christ as Savior, both of those services. So we rejoice in that fact, but rejoice that we that know Christ will be able to see Henry again one day. So what a special joy that is. Today we'll continue our study on life-changing biblical principles. These are principles or truths from God's Word that literally would change your life if you apply them. Whether you're saved or unsaved alike, these are truths that from God's Word that um, if you apply in your life, they will bring a change in your life. And so, so far we looked at the principle of ownership, we look at the principle of the temporary versus the eternal, the principle of the crucified life, the principle of sowing and reaping. The last two weeks, we look at the principle of judgment. But today, I'm sure you can see by the songs that we sang, we're going to look at the principle of grace. How many grateful for the grace of God? Amen. We're going to talk about the truth in God's word concerning grace. So before we get into that, I want to talk about, first of all, the three very important words every believer should understand. This is being true of the unsaved as well as the saved, but for the Christian, three very important words you need to understand. I hope you use your Bible. We're going to turn to several scriptures today, and many of the verses will be on the screen. And also in your bulletin, there is a notes. Please take that out and use that to write down things from the screen and from the uh, study today. But first word is the word justice. Justice. Justice is God giving us what we deserve. Justice is God giving us what we deserve. Keep your finger there in Titus. Go now to Luke chapter 18, please. Luke 18. Justice is God giving. The Bible says God is a just God. Justice is a character of our God, an attribute of God. But justice is so important for the believer to understand. Justice is God giving us what we deserve. And Luke 18, page 1467, if you're using a church Bible. Luke chapter 18. Look in verse 9, please. Luke 18, verse 9. In verse 9 it said, And he, to about the Lord Jesus, spake a parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Boy, that characterized so many people today. So many people today, especially religious people, trusted in themselves the works, the things they've done, are doing to get to heaven. They think by their deeds they can please God and one day have God's favor. And the trust in themselves... And that they're righteous before God. In fact, many of them despise others that don't mean up to their standards. And so now he's telling a story about people that believe that way. Those that trust them. By the way, what are you trusting in to get you to heaven this morning? Are you trusting in your works? In yourself and what you have done or are doing? Here's a parable for you. In verse 10, it says, Two men went up in the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a what? Here's two men diametrically opposed in the Jewish uh, life. 
A Pharisee was a religious ruler of Christ's day, like a pastor. People that looked, looked up and admired them for their position in the community. They're the ones who taught the word of God, represented God to the community, the Pharisees. But another one was called a publican. Now, what is a publican? A publican was a tax collector, one who was, could be Jewish, but they gathered tax for the Roman government. And many times they would gather tax what the Roman government required, but also extra for themselves. And so they were despised by the uh, Jewish community. And so he's talking about two men of a diametrically opposed, those that people admired and those people despised, a Pharisee and publican. In verse 11, the Pharisee stood and prayed thus within himself, God, I thank thee that I'm not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. Verse 12, I fast twice a week, and I give tithes of all that I possess. Here's a man who trusted in himself. He was so grateful he was not like other people, even that man who was with him in the temple, and all the things he'd done, he fasted twice a week, he tithed all his income, and so that's the first man. Verse 13, and the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And he said, verse 14, I tell you that this man, to about the publican, went down his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalts himself shall be abased, and he that humbles himself shall be what? My friend, the, the Pharisee was demanding justice. God, I thank you. I'm not like everybody else. I'm not an extortioner. I'm not unjust. I'm not an adulterer. In fact, I'm not like even this tax collector. And God, I fast twice a week. I, uh, I tithe all that I possess. Lord, give me what I deserve. He was asking for justice. But however, if God gives us what we deserve, we'd all go to hell. We don't deserve God's forgiveness. We don't deserve his favor. We deserve judgment because we're all sinners. But here's a man did not quite understand that, but did not see himself as a sinner. He saw himself as just and righteous. He was demanding justice. And so justice is God giving us what we deserve. Number two, the second word is mercy. How many are grateful for God's mercy? If you notice, the Pharisee was demanding justice, but the publican was asking for mercy. Look again in verse 13, and the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much his eyes unto heaven, but smote his breath, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He was praying for God. Mercy is God not giving us what we do deserve, just the opposite of justice. Justice is God giving us what we deserve. Mercy is God not giving us what we do deserve. And because of God's mercy, we don't have to go to hell. It's because of justice, some people do go to hell. If God gave me what I deserve, I would bust hell wide open. Like you, I'm a sinner. I've broken God's laws, commandments, and if I got justice from a holy God, I'd have to go to hell. But I'm so grateful for his mercy. God not give me what I do deserve. Uh, Psalm 86, verse 5, But thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive, plenteous in mercy. Unto all them that call upon him. What I need, God has plenty of, is mercy. Ephesians 2 verse 4, But God, who is rich in mercy, 
For his great love wherein he loved us. So what I need, what you and I need, God has plenty of and he's rich in. That's mercy. The third word, we looked at justice, God giving us what we deserve. Mercy, God not giving us what we deserve. And the most wonderful word, grace. Grace. Grace is God giving us something we don't deserve. How many are grateful for grace? Grace is God giving us something we do not deserve. His love, his compassion, his forgiveness, eternal life, a home in heaven is all ours because of grace. Psalm 145, verse 8, the Lord is gracious, full of compassion, slow to anger, and great mercy. Our God is a gracious God, full of grace. Someone once said, people that go to hell will not be there 10 seconds without crying out for mercy. They said again, people that go to hell will not be there for 10 seconds and be crying out for mercy. We have an example of that. Do not turn there, but we have the story of Lazarus and rich man. It says in Luke 16, verse 22, it came to pass that the rich man died and was buried and in hell, he lifted up his eyes, being in torments. And he seeth Abraham afar off, and he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. However, for those of us that are saved, when we go to heaven, we will not be there for 10 seconds, and we'll be praising God for his wonderful grace. We're, we'll be in heaven because of God's grace. So 10 seconds later, you'll be crying out, praise God, hallelujah, for his mercy and his grace. So today, we like to look at the principle of grace, God's amazing grace. We'll look at, first of all, saving grace, enabling grace, sufficient grace, then how to obtain grace. So let's begin, which uh, our scripture we looked at this morning, saving grace. Back in Titus chapter 2, please. Titus chapter 2. In verse 11, page 1679, Titus 2.11 says, For the grace of God that bringeth what? Salvation hath appeared to all men. God's grace is available to everybody. And notice, because of his grace, we have salvation. His grace, his favor... His unmerited favor is what brings salvation. Many of you know Ephesians 2, 8, 9. I'll go ahead and quote it for those not familiar with it. But it talks about Ephesians 2, 8. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So God's saving grace. If you're saved today, my friend, chalk it up to grace. God didn't give you what you deserve. And uh, he didn't have justice upon you, but he gave you his mercy and most of all, grace. Let me tell you three common misconceptions today about salvation. Three common misconceptions. Some people think that people who people think people are saved by what they do not do. That was the Pharisee. So I thank God I'm not like other people. I'm not unjust. I'm not an adulterer. I'm not uh, so-and-so. He was that person who thought he was saved by what he did not do. Some people think salvation is spelled don't. To them, salvation is subtraction, that if they, can't, if they can get certain things out of their lives, then they'll be saved. That's what the Pharisee was tributing to own. 
So the first misconception people are saved by what they do not do. The second misconception is people are saved by what they do. People are saved by what they do. Salvation uh, does not, uh, basically, comes by your good works, they think. But how, my friend, that's not according to the Bible. Many of you know Titus 3.5? Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his what? Mercy and save us. So the first misconception, people are saved, I'm saved by what I don't do. Others think I'm saved by what I do. Remember the Pharisee, first of all, mentioned out things I don't do. I'm not an extortioner, I'm not an adulterer. But however, I do fast twice a week and I do tithe my income. So he focused on both of those. That was the Pharisee. My friend, both are wrong. Salvation is not spelled don't. It is not spelled do. It is spelled done. D-O-N-E, done. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, last thing he said, it is, it is done. It's finished. The work required for salvation, all the merit that I need to go to heaven, Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross. I'm saved through what he did for me. The third misconception, this is the most subtle, and this applies to so many religious people today. People are saved by what Christ did and what I do. People are saved by what Christ did and what I do. Otherwise, the combination is what Christ did for me and now what I do for him. And the two is what's going to get me to heaven. Basically, they are mingling grace and works. They think that faith alone is not sufficient. Faith is necessary, but not sufficient. It's what Christ did for me. And now that I'm saved, it's what I do for him. And the two get me, get me to heaven. But look at the verse on the screen there, please. It said, Romans eleven six. What an important verse. When I, when I first saw this verse, I kind of got had to shake my head and I didn't understand it. But a powerful truth. Romans eleven six, And if by what? God's unmerited favor. If salvation's by grace, then it is no more of what? Works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works then there's no more of grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. What he's saying, by definition, grace is the opposite of works. It cannot be both. And so many people today think it is both. I'm saved by what Christ did. Christ was necessary, but my friend, he's not enough. That's what they thought, they think. So it's through what Christ did for me and through my baptism, through my commitment of life, through my tithing, through my membership of the church. That added to it, the two gets me to heaven. My friend, if it's salvation by grace, it's no more of works. You cannot look to both. Go with me now. This is not in your notes. But go with me to Galatians chapter 5, please. Galatians 5. Here is a group of people that were mingling grace and works. Galatians chapter 5, page 1242. There were a group of men... Religious men in Paul's day, they were called the Judaizers. They traveled around behind the ministry of Paul. Wherever Paul went, when Paul left, they followed behind. And they taught salvation by faith in Christ plus the, the law, the Mosaic law, specifically circumcision. They said what Paul said was necessary, but what Paul did not give you enough. So basically, it's by grace plus works. So they added circumcision under the Mosaic law to God's grace. It's faith plus circumcision. And so Paul wrote a whole book 
to fight against this false teaching. But when people add to the grace of God, add to faith for salvation, he wrote the book of Galatians. And look what it says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 2. And keep in mind what they added was circumcision. In Galatians 5, verse 2, he said, Behold, I, Paul, say unto you, that if ye be circumcised, the idea if you do this to be saved, Christ shall profit you what? Wow. What a statement. What he's saying, if you be circumcised with the idea that's required to go to heaven, I've got to do this in addition to my faith, what Christ did for you on the cross is going to profit you nothing. Christ plus something equals nothing. My friend, you could put baptism there. You could put church membership there. You could put tithing there, communion there. If you add anything to what Christ did for you, my friend, Christ's work on the cross shall profit you nothing. Read verse 4, please. Christ has become no effect unto you, whosoever of you that are justified by the law, you are fallen from what? Wow. What it's saying here, grace is for the unworthy, not the worthy. If you're trying to make yourself worthy of heaven by something you do in addition to faith, my friend, you've fallen from grace. What a statement. So are, are you, do you think going to heaven is about what Christ has done plus what you do? My friend, Christ is necessary. My friend, Christ is enough. He's sufficient. And that's a misconception thinking you've got to do that. So the misconception is people are saved about what they don't do. People are saved about what they do do. And other people say, people say about what Christ did and what I do. All three are misconception cannot save. My friend, we are saved by grace through faith alone. It's God's saving grace. Number two, the second one about God's principle of grace is God's enabling grace. God's enabling grace. You're back there in two, Titus 2. We saw there in verse 11, God's saving grace, for the grace of God that brings salvation. Verse 12, it says, teaching us that denying ungodliness and world of lust. So first of all, grace enables us, enable the believer to deny. Grace enables the believer to deny. Look at me, please. In salvation, grace means God's unmerited, undeserved favor. But in the Christian life, God's grace means God's divine enablement. We're going to see that in Scripture. God's grace doesn't stop at salvation. God's grace is available to believers today, and it's called God's enabling grace, God's divine enablement. Grace enables the believer to deny. Deny what? Ungodliness. And more or less, the same grace that brought salvation now teaches us, instructs us, educates us to deny and there's so, how many realize there's a lot of temptation in this world? A lot of lure into the things of doing wrong. And so many believers give into that because they don't access the grace of God. And the Holy Spirit brings that divine enablement to you in the Christian life. And when temptation comes, ungodliness comes, lust comes, God's grace enables us to deny those things. Number two, or letter B, grace enables, us, enables the believer to live. Grace enables the believer to live, not only to deny ungodliness, will or lust, but it goes on to say in verse 12, now that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. So the enablement I need to deny things that are wrong and do that which is right, live soberly, righteously, and godly, comes from grace. 
God's divine enablement. So grace enables the believer to deny. Grace enables the believer to live. Letter C, grace enables the believer to be. Grace enables the believer to be. Go with me now to 1 Corinthians 15, please. 1 Corinthians 15, page 1619. My friend, if you can get a hold of this truth, it'll change your life. Grace is life-changing. Grace saves us, but also not what saves, enables us to lie, to live, and also to be. Look in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10. Notice what Paul said here. Verse 10, 1 Corinthians 15, 10. He says, but by the what? Grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. Paul attributed everything he become after he was saved to God's grace. I am what I am. When you look at the life of the Apostle Paul and how his life changed, Paul said, that's grace. That's God's divine enablement, enabling me to be what I ought to be. Christian, everything God wants you to be can become, can be achieved through grace. Through God's grace. I'm so grateful for God's grace in my salvation, but now even in my Christian life. It's God's enable the believer to be. Next, also, grace enables the believer to do. Grace enables the believer to do. Look at the rest of verse 10 there. Again, I read the first part. Paul said, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace was not bestowed upon me in vain. But he goes on to say, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the what? The divine enablement of God, which was with me. Paul said, I did far more than all the other apostles. He did not say, look how wonderful I am. Look how wonderful God's grace is. So grace enabled him to be what he was and to do what he did. Paul attributed the person he became to me and what he was able to accomplish to the grace of God. My friend, I'm so grateful for grace. That's God's enabling grace. Number three, now God, sufficient grace. We saw saving grace, enabling grace, now sufficient grace. Sufficient grace. Go now to 2 Corinthians, please. In chapter 12, page 1635. 2 Corinthians, right after 1 Corinthians, if that's helpful. Chapter 12, please. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7. Paul, again, focused on this wonderful word, grace, this principle of grace. Sufficient grace. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7. Look in verse 7, please. Paul said, unless I should be exalted above measure... Through the abundance of revelations, there was given to me a thorn in the what? The flesh. The messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Well, Paul was saying here that God used him to give us most of the New Testament. The revelation of God in the New Testament was given to us through the Apostle Paul. It'd be easy for people to exalt him higher than they should have, above measure. And so he would not be exalted above measure. He was given a thorn, an affliction in the flesh. And goes on to say, Satan even used it to buffet him. And let's see if he should exalt him above measure. What is the thorn in the flesh? What was it that Paul had 
And in fact, he goes on to say in the next verse that he prayed three times, it says there in verse 8, for this I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. What was his thorn in the flesh? We don't know for certain. Uh, many commentaries said it was epilepsy. Some thought it was malaria. Some said it was an eye disease. I think it was the eye disease. Because we know the Apostle Paul, when he was saved, remember, he was struck blind. Remember that? Supernaturally. I believe he had eye problems as a result of that. Other scriptures bears out that he had eye problems. Many believe that thought it was a eye disease, where his eyes were constantly red and burning and would ooze and actually defigure his face. How many think that might be something that would hurt your ministry? So whatever it was, Paul felt like his ministry, and Satan used it to buffet him. And so what he did, he said, I prayed three times God would remove it. And what was God's answer? No. Have you ever prayed God remove something from your life? Uh, many of you know that this past year I had a heart attack, and, and as a result of the heart attack, it damaged the bottom part of my heart. My heart is working about half of what it used to. And uh, after the heart attack, they signed me to physical therapy. I went for 13 weeks, three times a week, and got therapy. And they said, hopefully that would strengthen my heart because your heart's a muscle. And so while that was happening, uh, we were praying. All the doctors said this, make your heart strong and get back to normal. The people at the rehab thought it would do that. My wife and I, we didn't pray three times. We prayed 300 times. That during that therapy, we would get, uh, God would strengthen my heart. But you know what the answer was? No. We went back after the therapy and went and had an echocardiogram where they checked my heart and the doctor came back and my wife literally cried. That got a bit better. My friend, we prayed and prayed and prayed. You know what God's answer was? My grace is sufficient. My grace is sufficient. And notice what it says here. And there it says in verse 9, his answer to Paul, he prayed three times that the thorn of flesh might depart from him in verse 9. And he said, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, would I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Verse 10, therefore, I take pleasure in my infirmities in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, and distresses. For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then am I strong. My friend, God's grace is sufficient for every experience you go through in life. There is nothing you may experience in this world for which God's grace is not sufficient. First of all, literally, it's sufficient in physical weakness. I can say amen to that. It's sufficient in physical weakness. He said in verse 9, my grace sufficiently, my strength is made perfect in what? Weakness. The word perfect means complete, to add that which is lacking in order to render thankful. My friends, salvation is by grace, but also the Christian life. So what is your physical weakness? You've been crying out to God to move, and so far the answer has been no. He may say, my friend, God, my grace will be sufficient. That's what he told Paul. Now, please listen. In salvation of a sinner, grace is best displayed on the backdrop of sin. Let me say it again. In salvation of a sinner, grace is best displayed on the backdrop of sin. Uh, 
My wife and I, some time ago, went on a cruise. Have you been on a cruise before? And on the decks of the cruise, there's a lot of things you can do. But one deck has all kinds of these stores. And when on a trip, many times you're all day on the sea with not nothing to do. Not nothing, is that actually? <laughs> but not anything to do. So we went and visited these shops. And one of the shops was, a, you're laughing at me, <laughs> were a, a jewelry shop. And we go in there, and we go in there to look, not to get, to buy. And I went over there, and they had a section of men's watches. Oh, boy, some fancy watch I've ever seen in my life. I was over looking at it, and the salesman come by. What do you think? I said, boy, I like that one. So he grabs the watch. He says, follow me. And he goes down to the end of the counter, and he has this, it's either black or a crimson velvet piece of velvet. He laid out there. Turns on these special lights. He puts that watch down there. Boy, did it make that watch look good. That watch was best displayed on the backdrop of that dark velvet. Do you know when sin is, uh, God's grace is best displayed? On the backdrop of sin. Where sin abounded, God's grace did much more what? But you know, in the Christian life, please listen. In the life of the believer, grace is best displayed on the backdrop of physical weaknesses. Grace is best displayed in the backdrop of physical weakness. God's grace looks amazing when you look at people that have such physical limitation. Look what they do for God. And that was the Apostle Paul. Many believe that when he would preach, his eyes would ooze, his eyes were all red, and just he looked pitiful. He looked weak. But look what he accomplished. And because of God's grace. Grace is sufficient in physical weaknesses, but also is sufficient to have a godly attitude. Sufficient to have a godly attitude. Look in verse 10, please. He went on to say, Therefore, because God would not remove it, God says his grace is sufficient. Therefore, he said, I take pleasure in infirmities. Wow. In reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I what? The word pleasure means to look upon favorably, to think good. God's grace not only able to Paul to do what he did, but also to transform his perspective. In other words, experiences in his ministry that Paul would naturally resist and hate, he could now supernaturally welcome because of the provision of God's evidence of God's power. He says, through my weaknesses, God displayed power. And so basically he said, I can have the thorn removed and be weak, or I can have the thorn remain and have God's power. Which one would you choose? In the ministry, he said, I take pleasure now in. Now go with me, please. Uh, this is not your notes. Go now to Hebrews 12, please. Hebrews 12. This is so important. God gave me this this morning as I was uh, going over my notes before coming to church today. Hebrews 12, page 1695. Hebrews 12, 15. Hebrews 12, 15, please. Let me look up when you find like a bit, please. Many of you have some physical infirmities. You have issues you struggle with physically. Many of you say, Pastor, pray for me. And we pray together about that. And maybe you ask God to remove it, and God said, No. What's your attitude? Do you look upon it with favor? So many of us get bitter. We get angry. God, here I am trying to serve you and you know, work for you. 
And look what you've done. What are you allowing? And then become bitter. Bitterness is a result of failing the grace of God. Amen. Look at what it says here in chapter 12, verse 15. Looking diligently, lest any man, what? Fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, thereby many be defiled. My friend, Paul could have come bitter. He had something in his life that he felt hindered his ministry. Satan used it constantly to buffet him, make fun of him. And yet God said, no, I'm not going to do it. So he did not fail the grace of God. He applied God's grace and did not become bitter. Bitterness is a result of lack of God's grace. What are you bitter about this morning, Christian? What are you angry about in your life? The result is you failed the grace of God. You have not allowed the grace of God to enable you to change your perspective about that which you were so angry about. And that's what Paul said there. Unless you, any man, fail the grace of God and a root of bitterness springing up. Now go back now. So basically, let me tell you how this, number four, how to obtain grace. How to obtain grace. How many say, Pastor, I need grace. I need that enablement to do and to be and to, re, uh, to resist, to deny things and be the person God would have me to be. The first way God, grace is obtained, grace is obtained through humility. Grace is obtained through humility. For the sake of time, I was going to have you turn with me. But let me just quote the verse for you. First Peter 5, verse 5, it says this, Yea, and all, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud and gives grace to the what? Humble. My friend, sometimes we become prideful that I don't deserve this. I've, I've been trying to live for you, Lord. I don't deserve what's going on in my life. And I, or many of us say, I can serve the Lord. I don't need his strength. My friend, that's pride. And God resists the proud but gives grace to the what? Humble. When you humble yourself, Lord, I can't do it without you. I can't make it without you. I can't be the person you want me to be. I can't do the things you want me to do. I can't resist temptation. I can't do anything without your grace. That's humility. And my friend, God gives grace to the humble. James 4, 6. He giveth more grace. We sang about that, didn't we? Wherefore he saith, God resists the proud, and, but giveth grace to the humble. Next, another way to obtain grace. Not only through humility, but also through the word. Through the word of God. Acts 20, 32. But now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. So I obtain grace through humility. I can obtain grace through the word. And the next one, many of you know, I can obtain grace through prayer. Through prayer. Again, I wish we could have time to turn there. But listen to this verse. Many of you know this verse. Hebrews 4.16. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace. Why? That we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. That's through prayer. When you bow your head in prayer, my friend, you're ushered in the throne of grace before God in heaven. And you go there for mercy. How many said, Pastor, I need mercy? That God doesn't give me what I deserve. But, 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 Pastor, God, I need grace. Give me something I don't deserve. And you can find it at the throne. So grace is obtained through humility. It's attained through the word of God and through prayer.
So let's, let's wrap it up this morning. Today we looked at the principle of grace. God's saving grace. God's enabling grace. God's sufficient grace. And how to obtain that grace. But let's close with this. The first step to attain the grace of God for salvation. You know what it is? To humble yourself. To humble yourself. Remember James 4, 6? God resists the proud, gives grace to the humble. You have to come to the place, I, I cannot save myself. Remember the Pharisee? Lord, I think I'm not like this person. Look at all the things I do. I can save myself. And what did the publican do? He would not even look to heaven. He smote his breast and cried out for mercy. And remember how it concluded? Jesus said, I tell you, this man, the publican, went down to his house justified rather than the Pharisee. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbles himself shall be exalted. In other words, you want to be saved, the first thing you've got to realize, I am a sinner. I, I cannot save myself. In fact, one of the most humbling verses, I'm going to close with this, it'll be on the screen. It's just an eye-opening verse. Isaiah 64, 6. Look what it says up there, please. Isaiah said, but we are all as an unclean thing. And all our righteousnesses, that means you at your very best, are as what? Filthy rags. And we do all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. My friend, how humbling. What he's saying prior to salvation, listen carefully, please. That the very best you can do, the things you don't do, the things you do do, <laughs> the very best in God's sight are filth. And God says that not because he compares you to somebody else, because he compares you to himself. That the standard by which God measures you by is himself. That God is light in him is no darkness at all compared to that standard of holiness, my friend. That me at my very best is filth. And that's humbling, is it not? So when I come to Christ and realize nothing with me do I bring, but something to the cross I cling. Me at my very best is filth. If God gave me what I deserved, I'd go to hell. But because of his mercy and his grace, I can go to heaven. How many of you are looking to yourself and the things that you have done or doing to get to heaven? My friend, you're like that Pharisee. And the Bible said that man left unjustified. But what we need to do is be like that publican. In a sense, humble ourselves. Don't even look to heaven. Smaller breasts and say, God, be merciful. You know what that word merciful means? It means mercy seated. Remember the mercy seat in heaven where the blood was sprinkled and God grant forgiveness and eternal and uh, to his people. Be mercy seated to me, heaven. And he referred to the blood that was sprinkled. The blood of Christ to bring salvation. So my friend, if you're not saved, don't look to your works. Look to Christ. Don't look to Christ plus your works. Look Christ alone. He can save. He will save because of his mercy and his grace. Never demand justice. <laughs> Plead his mercy and grace. If you are saved, grace didn't stop at salvation. We have God's enabling grace. We have God's sufficient grace. And we have God's other grace. I forgot already. But God's grace. And how do I obtain it? Through prayer, through the word, and through his uh, word. My mind went blank again.
It means that I need to stop. <laughs> but anyway, let's bow together, please. His heads are bowed and eyes are closed. How many say, Pastor, I'm saved? I know I'm a Christian. I know I have eternal life. But Pastor, so often I give in to temptation. So often I do, fail to be the person I ought to be. So often I fail to do what I ought to do. And Pastor, I've seen today I need grace. How many indicate that? Raise your hand. That's your prayer today. I need grace. My friend, it's available to you through humility, through prayer, and through the throne. And I pray that you get alone with God and cry out to him. Say, God, I cannot make this Christian life without you. I need from your Holy Spirit that divine name to be, to do the person you want me to be. As heads are bowed and eyes still closed, maybe you're here today and you never trusted Christ. Why not do that today? Stop looking to your works. Stop looking to your behavior. Stop looking to anything you have done or are doing. Look to Christ looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And through him, you can receive mercy and receive God's grace. If you've never trusted in Christ alone to save you, why not do it right now? Right where you're sitting, talk to God and maybe say something like this. Say, dear God of heaven, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. And because I've sinned, I deserve your punishment. But God, I believe your son, Jesus, was punished in my place. The judgment I deserve, he took upon himself. And when he hung on the cross, he died for me. He was buried and he rose again. And right here today, I need your mercy. I plead your grace. And I trust your son to be my savior. I trust him to do for me what I cannot do for myself. I'm trusting Christ, my Savior, right here today. As her heads are bowed and eyes are closed, my friend, did you trust Christ as your Savior today? Are you looking to Jesus and him alone as your means for heaven? If you did, I'd like to pray for you. I'd like to rejoice with you. Because according to the Bible, the moment you did that, God saved you. He's given you eternal life. Heaven is now your home. But I'd like to know if anyone did that today, so I'm going to include you in my closing prayer. So with heads bowed and eyes are closed, if that made sense to you, and you trusted Christ today. Would you indicate that by simply raise your hand so I can pray for you? And what all, Pastor, here's my hand. I trusted Christ. Would you pray for me? God bless you. Amen. Anyone else? Pastor, it makes sense to me. I trusted Christ. Here's my hand. I can't have done that. Anyone all? Anyone else? Anyone else? Father, our hearts rejoice for this one who trusted Christ. And now is putting their dependence, their faith in you as their only hope for heaven. Father, we pray for the Christian. We pray for those who have not been the people they ought to be, and they realize there's a lack of grace. And, Father, they raise any can they need more of your grace. So I pray through the humility that depends upon you through prayer and spending time at the throne, they'll find the grace they need and the help in the time of need. Father, pour out your grace upon each one here, upon this ministry, and upon this church. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.